A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I'm Amy Taylor Cabaz. I would like to start by acknowledging the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation on which this podcast is recorded as the traditional custodians of this land and pay my respects to the elders past, present and emerging. And as this podcast is dedicated to the wisdom and knowledge of motherhood, I would like to acknowledge the mothers of this land, the elders, their wisdom, their knowing and my own elders and teachers. Welcome back, mamas. Well, actually, this week I'm going to say welcome back, everybody, because today's podcast episode is with author Ruby Warrington, whose latest book, Women Without Kids, is by far one of the most thought-provoking and insightful books I have read in a long time, and I'm not exaggerating. Ruby is a woman without children, and in her process of being okay with that decision, she began to look around and research the assumptions we have around women, of our assumptions of we should want to become a mother and love every moment of it, what our culture says about women without kids. And as I began to follow her online and then get sent a review copy of her new book, which is coming out in the UK in April and Australia in May, I knew that this is a conversation we should be having on this podcast, the podcast about motherhood with mothers. Because as I read this book, it showed me again the thing that is going on with us as women is that we are told and assume who we should be, what we should do with our lives and how we should feel about it. This is such an insightful insight that Ruby shares. Please listen and let both Ruby and I know online what you think about it. I really am interested to hear. Enjoy. Welcome to the Happy Mama Movement podcast. It is so exciting to speak to you. I have been poring over your book in the last few days. I was just saying to you that I'm frustrated because I'm reading a pre-publication version as a PDF on my computer and I want the physical copy in my hands so I can underline almost every single sentence. But Thank you for being here and for bringing this conversation to this space. Well, thank you for having me. It's really, I'm really thrilled to be invited by you. Um, and I'm so excited to hear what's kind of come up for you in the reading. And I think that was one of my, even as I was writing it, it's been edited so tightly. It does feel like there's something to think about in almost every line of this oh, book. Really? <laughs> um, the editing process was intense. Um, and so, yeah, I'm very, because I think it's such a, I've been saying all along, this is a conversation starter, and that's what I want for this book, you know, so I'm really happy to be having a conversation with you today. 
If I may, I'd like to actually start by reading something to you from that you wrote from your book because I think it's important to say right up front because this is a book about women without kids. And so people would say, well, Amy, why are you interviewing Ruby about a book about kids, with women without kids, when actually your whole podcast is talking about the realities and experiences of motherhood in modern life and how we need to be more honest and open about it and what it means for a woman to be a mother. So if it's okay, I'm going to start by reading you this little excerpt right from the beginning. This book is for the ones who don't have wombs and who feel anything but barren. It is for those for whom health issues or other disabilities have blocked the path to parenthood. It is for anybody whose sexual orientation or gender expression has written them out of the heteronormative story about what it means to start a family. And it is even for those mums who have found themselves in the flat, scooped out quiet of the 3am feed, questioning where the fuck their minds, their identities, their lives have gone. The ones who sometimes whisper it, wish they didn't have kids. It actually makes me emotional to read that because that, <laughs> that is actually my experience of becoming a mother and how this started for me 15 mm. years ago, this whole work. And so I just want to start mm. first by acknowledging that the things that you bring up in this book is, yes, what women without kids experience, and I want to hear that experience. But also right from the beginning, I want to say, I was reading and going, oh, my God, I've asked those questions, and I have three of them. This is a conversation starter. It's a reality check on what it means to be a woman mm -hmm. with kids, without kids, who wanted kids, who never wanted kids. It's just spectacular. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I thought that might be the piece you would read, <laughs> you know, um, because that, that I think that paragraph opens, this book is for anybody who identifies as a woman without kids. And it's very interesting. It was when I was having my first conversation with my editor at Sounds True, who is a mother, she said, I want to read this book. Please, please make sure it speaks to me. And I'm so glad she did because it felt like such an important piece to make this inclusive of mothers who, A, sometimes don't like being mothers, like to normalise the fact that it's not always blissful and easeful and fulfilling and everything that you wanted, you know? <laughs> Becoming a mother entails missing out on lots of things just as not becoming a mother entails missing out on lots of things you know and so I really wanted to make that clear and do start to do some of the work I think of dismantling what I call the mummy binary this idea that we've got you know mothers who sort of done their duty and have fulfilled their role in society and are on their way to personal fulfillment and meaning and then non-mothers who are sort of sad selfish dysfunctional odd ones out and it just all felt so toxic that kind of binary view when we're all just human beings ultimately trying to live lives that bring us the most the maximal kind of like joy and meaning <laughs> against all odds and against some seriously hardcore odds and I also really wanted to acknowledge just how hard it is to be a mum and how that awareness, a growing awareness actually, thanks to people like you talking about the realities of motherhood, that actually a growing awareness of how hard it is to be a mum, oftentimes down to structural and policy issues mm -hmm. that do not support mothers, mm -hmm. um, is one of the reasons more women are questioning it. 
whether it means they opt out full stop or whether it means they sit on the fence for a long, long time, that's one of the reasons we're questioning it. So why don't we think about that <laughs> you know, and start talking about why that is? And then the final piece in terms of speaking to mums, I also, just from my own experience with my mum friends, got a sense that particularly women who've had a large degree of autonomy and freedom before becoming mothers, which was not the case for our mothers even, and certainly not for our grandmothers. Becoming a mother is a loss of identity. And I know that lots of my mum friends really want to stay connected to the woman that they are without their kids, you know? And so I wanted to sort of invite mums in through that doorway as well. Ah. Oh. That is the crux of everything I've done over the last decade. And the number one thing that I hear from the literally four or 5,000 women that have gone through my programs and then email me, it is that loss of identity. Mm. They may love being a mum, but something that they weren't expecting was what came with that. But literally, I have so many notes and questions. But okay. first, I want to start with your personal experience. Where did this book come from for you? Well, it's interesting. I sort of feel like it's been brewing my whole life in a weird way. I'm into, I'm super into astrology and I have a really a, a dear astrologer friend. When I first shared that I wanted to write this book, she just went, oh, this is, this is the meaning, the whole meaning of your birth chart. This is what you're here to do. <laughs> based on various kind of placements of the planets in my chart. (laughs) But um, it's sort of, I know that sounds a little bit grandiose, like this is the purpose of my life, but it just, when I say it's been building my whole life, this has been the question, why don't I want to be a mum, has been ever present for me from a very, very young age. You know, I I mentioned in the book that one of the first conversations I actually remember having with my mum was about aged five, telling her, and I can't remember if I put this part in, but just telling her I, I could not understand for the life of me why people were so into babies. I was like, babies are awful. <laughs> they sound, they scream all the time, they smell bad, they take all the attention, they, they're ugly little wrinkly things. And I was like, I couldn't, my five-year-old brain couldn't compute. It was like, baby animals are so cute. But baby humans are just horrible. <laughs> And then I went, sort of went on to tell her, I don't remember this part, but she remembers me telling her, if I ever have a baby, I'll give it to you to look after. Wow. <laughs> so I think the signs were there very early on that, this, that motherhood was not in my path. And we can get into my feelings about babies and why I sort of felt like that if you want. But, um, but yeah, so it's been, it, it, and it didn't really come into, it didn't really come into the forefront of my consciousness until sort of my 20s and 30s when, yeah, it sort of, everyone else seemed to have an opinion or an idea about my procreative potential and whether I should or not become a mother. Most people asking that same question, why don't, but why don't you want to be a mum? But why? And really from a genuine, it felt like from a genuine place of just like, could not get their heads around it. And this intense questioning from the outside made me feel very othered. But within that othering, I didn't necessarily lose confidence in my own knowing about this. I was very fortunate to, you know, get a degree in in journalism and a career I was really interested in, do really well in that career in London, sort of just feel very, I felt very fulfilled. I'd also met my husband when I was pretty young and had a great relationship with him and I didn't honestly feel like anything was missing from my life. So people questioning me didn't necessarily, um, I don't know, make me think that there was something missing. 
I did over time start to internalize those questions from other people mm. and start questioning myself and not in the, not questioning oh maybe I should become a mother questioning what's wrong with me yes. what did I miss like is there something even biologically missing like I've never felt this baby fever mm. my ovaries have literally never tweaked when I've looked at a baby, I've, I've got had I've no reference point for that whatsoever. And I've really honestly started to think that there was something wrong with me. Oh. Um, and so it was actually sort of coming into my early mid forties and looking ahead to menopause and just sort of pondering what that life stage would, that transition would bring for me, that I realized I had zero regrets about not becoming a mother, that I didn't feel like I'd missed out in any way, shape or form. And that absolute, actually, there had never been anything wrong with me or my decision not to have children. And in fact, it was exactly the right decision for me and for my life. And within that realisation, I just, I wanted to sort of offer that, offer that to, to younger women yeah. who were in that questioning or being questioned phase and offer it to older women who maybe had aged and were still feeling some shame around not having done this thing. But then I just got really interested from a journalistic perspective about why why so many of us now are either choosing not to have children are finding ourselves in circumstances where we can't have children or don't feel we can confidently pursue the path of parenthood are experiencing fertility issues at a much younger age mm. you know many in my early 30s people started to experience fertility issues and it just seemed mm. people were baffled and I was baffled so I wanted to know what was going on there um so that's when the project kind of widened out to why why have we stopped having kids, you know? Mm. Oh, there's so much I want to pull out of that as well. Can we talk just a little bit about that idea that when you're asked over and over again, why don't you want to have kids? Why don't you want to have kids? And even though that inner knowing of it's not right for me, what I find is we often then tell in our cultural story around woman equals mother that we have this story mm. of you'll regret it later. Mm. It'll be too late. You'll regret it later. And to sit in the energy of, I don't want this, but I'm not going to be able to do it later if I change my mind. Oh, my God, it actually almost yeah. makes me physically sick. That, that, and I'm not exaggerating <sighs> there. It is, that is such a horrendous place to put women mm. of, mm. you mm. are feeling that this isn't right for you, but you know what? If you change your mind later, it's too late. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Terrible. And, I mean, you know, the biological clock is a cruel, <laughs> cruel trick of nature, really. <laughs> you know, the fact that women ha do, there is a cutoff point, whereas for men, there isn't really. I mean, this is just like one of the unfair things about being a woman, and it just is unfair, you know. Um, but it makes me wonder, have you read Orna Donut's book, Regretting Motherhood? Um, have I? I don't think I have. Did she write just a short article about it as well? I feel like I've read an mm. excerpt or an overview. I haven't read the whole thing. She's an, Israeli she's an Israeli sociologist, and her book, Regretting Motherhood, is um, the findings from a study she did with women who would openly tell her, yes, I regret having had my children, and if I could do it again, I wouldn't. I remember reading this was just so... Oof, it was just like, this is the ultimate taboo unveiled. Like, such incredible bravery on the part of the participants of that study to really be honest about this thing. 
Um, anyway, Orna describes that you'll regret it as a politicised use of emotion. Yeah. It's so deeply coercive. And people don't mean it that way necessarily, you know, especially if it's coming from parents or women who are mothers who absolutely adore being mothers and sort of want the same for their friends and can't imagine how anyone could be happy without that, you know. Certainly, people might be saying, oh, go on, go on, you probably will regret it, you know, because they know they would have regretted it. Yes. <laughs> but it's deeply unfair and deeply coercive and very manipulative. And I think when we hear that from people, we're allowed to just say, mm, it's okay, I don't think... I'd, I'd, whether you say it personally to them or whether just for yourself you're a, you can put up a kind of emotional boundary and be like mm, mm, probably not who, who knows who knows nice. and the other point I make is it's impossible to live a life without regrets you know and I do I do th you know if for someone who's really really questioning is this for me you know what if you regret having kids exactly. it's heartbreaking to read the accounts of the women in this study you know um and even grandmothers who regretted having kids and then found themselves in a grandmother role that they didn't want for themselves, you know, and sort of had to go through the whole early childhood thing again with their grandchildren and were just, yeah, that had been a kind of a, fact, a feature in their whole lives. So, yeah, it's a really, really tricky one, but so important to, to talk about, I think. And it is so tied, as you said, to this cultural, political, stereotypical assumption that because we're born with a uterus, because we're born female, or mm -hmm. um, that this is a logical and natural next step. And I love how you um, reflect quite beautifully in the book around this idea that motherhood will complete you, that we're here as human beings almost ultimately to couple up and procreate. And so if you mm -hmm. don't do that... There's just this layer upon layer of, well, you haven't done what you're here for, especially if you're a woman. And secondly, you won't be completed. And if I may just add mm. to something here, because I really would value your insight on this. You know, I teach and speak about matrescence, this experience, this transformation we go mm. through from woman to mother and the struggle of our loss of identity. It's like adolescence, you know, you go through this, Oh, this period of not knowing who you are and questioning yourself and everything. It's not like you just wake up the day you give birth and you're a mum, which is another one of the assumptions right. we need to smash. Yeah. But in the languaging around, matrescence has the potential to be this awakening. It has this experience of saying, actually, no, I don't want to do it this way. I'm very aware that for women who don't or can't have children... I don't want to be sane, therefore they won't have that awakening. And again, I think this is where we have to be really mindful and careful and um, so much more clear on... We can't say that this experience of matrescence and motherhood will complete you or it's a spiritual awakening or it's a rite of passage that everyone has to go through because underneath that we're assuming that those who don't or can't therefore don't get there. They, they never get awakened. They mm. never have that. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, it's such a, it's, it's fascinating. And I'm sort of in it in a way at this stage in my life, knowing it's not definitely not going to happen for me mm. now. Um, well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't quite reached menopause yet, I suppose, in, 
it could, but <laughs> highly likely it's not going to just happen. Um, but before I answer that, I wanted to touch on one thing you said. You said something about, like, you know, we've been taught that motherhood is this logical thing that just happens to all women. Actually, motherhood is completely illogical. It's, it's presu presumed to be biological in that our body is deciding for us that we must have children, that it's a it's biological imperative is to have children. But I think this is... When you apply logic <laughs> to the question, should I have children, it's illogical. It's completely illogical yeah. <laughs> a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? There are so many. If you were going to be really kind of like, <laughs> yeah. It's almost like well, saying, just because I can run doesn't mean I have to be a marathon runner. You know, just because I have right. ovaries doesn't mean I have to do this. There's right. this. I love how you've differentiated right. between the biological and the, and the logical. You know, just because I have legs right. and I have the ability to run doesn't mean I'm going to be in the Olympics. Well, this reminds me of another interview I did for the book with a psychologist called Jeannie Safer, who wrote a book called Beyond Motherhood in the 90s that was mm. one of the only books I've actually been able to find that really gets into the psychology of not having motherhood, not having kids. And she, um, she said... When we get, when we finally get that our psychology is separate from our biology, yeah. then we will be free. And I just love that quote, you know? But anyway, to your point about matrescence, I learned about matrescence when I interviewed Aurelie Athan, whose work you may be familiar with. She's a, she's a, um, a lecturer at Columbia University, and she wrote a paper in 2020 just as I was putting my book proposal together and compiling all my ideas, it was published on the concept of reproductive identity. Um, so there's a whole section on reproductive identity in the book. Um, she talks about reproductive identity being important because our reproductive status, whatever it might be, and whatever gender or sex, biological sex we are, our reproductive status has a huge impact on how we see ourselves, how others see us, and how we are treated as a result. It's a big one of the identity markers, actually, and has been ignored because it's been so presumed that parenthood is everybody's desti destiny, you know, women more so, but, I mean, honestly, men too, actually. And I do think one of the conversations that will come out of this is men without kids. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside. <laughs> um, but, yeah, in terms of matrescence, I, I sort of talk in that section about how there are so many experiences that can quote-unquote grow a person up, you know? Exactly. I've also spoken to, uh, and what came out, I, I conducted a survey, an online survey for research, and something that really came through in that, and something I can relate to in my own story as well. For, for, for quite a few women without kids, they feel like they made that transition to quote-unquote mother or caretaker, let's say, quite early on whether it was caring for a parent, whether it was caring for younger siblings, they felt that they had kind of already done their mothering and they were burnt out on the mothering front. Wow. They'd already kind of like grown up in that way, you know? Yes, I do. And that's something I can slightly relate to in my own story, just being the, the elder sibling in, you know, a, a, a family where my parents divorced when I was pretty young and yeah, my mum leaned on me a fair amount for support in all sorts of ways. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I think that this idea that mother becoming a mother sort of grows us up, yes, undoubtedly is its own distinct and specific sort of life transition, but there are so many life transitions. Yes. Losing a loved one, grieving, 
you know, hugely, hugely important life transition. In my case, like my, my previous book was called Sober Curious, quitting drinking and stepping out of the drinking culture. I mean, it sounds so simple and surface, but the amount of soul searching <laughs> that uh, people are confronted with, even in kind of like walking that alternative path, um, is really... Um, it really develops you in, in strong ways, you know. And I kind of make the point that actually walking any path that diverges from the norm really does, it, mean, it means looking at yourself pretty hard because it means you internalise all those questions. What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this thing? You then have to sort of answer them for yourself and that self-inquiry um, brings about its own sort of, you know, personal development so, yeah, that's kind of where I totally go with agree. that. But I did, mm. when I interviewed Aurelie, she did sort of, and I only realised this as I listened back to the tape afterwards, and I'll have to have another conversation with her. She did say that there is a body of work that looks at the transition to non-motherhood. Mm. And I think that would be particularly relevant to people who want to have children and who can't, who planned for that, who prepared for it, perhaps who invested you know, years worth of time and money into IVF treatments that didn't work to then tr that transition, the transition to non-motherhood, having prepared for motherhood, must be its other own whole sort of process. And so I think, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to, to even do more research myself about the research that's being done in those yeah. kind of areas, you know. Yes, please do. I would love to hear that too. I mean, Aurelie's work inspired everything that I now do. She's phenomenal in, in this space. And I remember right, when yeah. she was telling me about how she first began her research was that she was looking at the transformation um, someone experiences at the end of life, witnessing the end of life and mm. how that changes you. It makes you look at your values, your priorities. You look around the world in a completely different yeah. way. Like you are the person before they died and then you're the person who after they died. It's it's a, you're very different. And from that questioning of the end of yeah. life, she started to ask, well I wonder if the same thing happens if you witness the start of life. So, you know, right from the beginning her work was around these rites of passage. And I agree. I think right. um, there's also rites of passage for women around mm -hmm. menopause. There's these changes oh, that we yeah. continually experience. And what I love about what you bring to this conversation through this book is that it is we don't have to follow any of the assumptions anymore about who we are, who we marry, what we look like, what we do with our life, what we drink, what we don't drink, and... You know, this is an incredibly exciting but also destabilising time for that reason. Mm. Um, you know, mm. it's amazing that we get so much choice and we can use our voices. We're starting to be able to be heard in different ways. But also, oh, I feel that also brings a lot of pressure on every single individual, which is, okay, so what? now I get to choose whether I want to be a mum or not? I, I, I don't know. I just... I don't know. What do you think about that? I think we're also putting on the next yeah. generations and the future generations a lot of self-responsibility, which is a good thing, but also mm -hmm. the reason why we had such strong cultural normatives is because it was easier for everyone to just go along with the rules, and we're now in a place where mm -hmm. we're not. Right. 
I think about this a lot. <laughs> the tyranny of choice. Yes. <laughs> because it is. The more choices we have, the more questions we have. Yes. And the more we have, the more responsibility we have to understand ourselves, to know ourselves, to stand our ground, to have boundaries. Like, this all takes work, you know? And I've thought about this a lot. I would rather have the choice. Oh, hell yeah. I would still always rather have the choice, you know? Yeah. Because I think about, you know, a woman like me, for example, who had zero, I've described zero kind of physical urges to have a child, isn't good with children on any level, being, I don't want to use the word force, but having motherhood be the only option for me, Mm. you know, to be a, a valid member of society, to not be an outcast, literally, probably. Um, it's just, I'm so grateful that I have the choice. And yes, it comes with a lot of responsibility. I think I came up with a quote on this. I was like, a full life is a life full of hard choices. Oh, yeah. You know? And this is why I think podcasts are amazing. Community, community and education are so important. Education, because, yes, we need to be informed about the choices we're making. And not just informed about, like, what the choices are, but, you know, the, the different factors that are kind of shaping our thinking about those choices too, right? Um, and community, I honestly think, is just one of the... is probably the most important thing yeah. to find other people that we can talk to. When we're trying to figure it all out in our head, it's so easy to get lost in these kind of, like, spirals of, of just confusion, honestly. And the more we can vocalise and, and be with other people who might be grappling with the same choices as us and sort of talk it out together, um, the better equipped I think we are. Mm. Trying to do it on our own is just so lonely, especially when it's a choice as big as this, yeah. which has literally centuries of conditioning and baggage attached to it, you know? I agree. In fact, the... Um the the i'm just pulling it up here sorry the um the full title of your book is women without kids the revolutionary rise of an unsung sisterhood i really wanted to ask you about the sisterhood and what you meant by that and um it feels to me like a rallying call of hey we need to come together and speak up here so what did you mean by that subtitle um my publishers really wanted it to be a rallying cry. Oh, and good. I was a bit well, it like, well, it's actually more of just, it's actually more of just a, you know, it's a sort of an intricate and emotionally laden deep dive into this subject. But um, <clears throat> the revolutionary rise of an unsung sisterhood, unsung sisterhood was there from the beginning of concepting this book because what I really felt was while there's a literal living thing that kind of mothers have to bond them this you know this experience of gestating birthing nurturing another human being a very specific experience women without kids don't have that what we have to gather around is a a a space an empty space you know and so we just we just don't I haven't in my 46 years been invited to one women without kids gathering support group um, friend hangout it just isn't a thing Would you like <laughs> and to? I'm somebody who's well this is what I was about to say I'm I'm somebody who I am quite a loner and this is one of the reasons 
I never really wanted to have a family. I'm not really a groups person. I don't like group activities. And having a family is basically one long 25-year group activity. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, hmm, yeah. I don't know if that's my, I'm questioning why I chose motherhood to the truth this interview. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but yes, I think there will be women who do want to gather in communities. And I think probably especially Definitely. the ones who wanted to but can't have children. I think exactly. that would be... And there are there are groups. Mm -hmm. There are actually groups. You're probably familiar with Jodie Day and Gateway Women. She has an incredible um, online group and, and organises all sorts of amazing events for the involuntarily childless. Um, but especially for women who actually don't want to do it, there really is nothing to bond us. And as much as I'm saying I'm, I'm quite comfortable in this kind of more loner-ish role... It's one of the reasons I'm a writer. My job basically involves spending like eight hours a day on my own, not talking to anyone, and I love it. <laughs> Apart from when I do the promo and I'm, I'm doing back-to-back -back podcasts, and I love that too because it's like, oh, I've got so much to say now. <laughs> but anyway, um, but I did, I have felt that otherness in the lack of community. I'm the only one. There's something wrong with me. I'm the only one. There's something wrong with me. And the validity of finding other women who either have chosen make, made the same choices or feel the same way I do or who are having a similar experience because of for different reasons has been really um I don't know empowering is such an overused word it's been heartwarming it's been oh, a relief you know such a relief to know I'm not the only one mm -hmm. and to know that so many of the more challenging things about being a non-mother that I've kind of held on my own and just kind of muscled through, you know, um, I don't have to do that on my own anymore, you know. So that's I I want I, that's why I conceptualised women without kids. And again, like anybody who identifies as a woman without kids, mm. as this unsung sisterhood, you know. Yeah. Um, and again, for 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 mums who might sometimes be feeling, you know, I wish I didn't have kids. How lonely must that be? It's you incredibly know? lonely. But how normal that probably is. Of course, of, of course, sometimes yeah. you're going to go, why did I do this? <laughs> you know, this is really hard. Um, so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, finding, and, and I am going to host an in-person retreat um, for any listeners who are in America or who, who want to travel at the Kripali Centre in Massachusetts, which is in a, a state above New York, um, in the middle of June. So there will be an in-person get-together, which I'm, oh, I'm so excited for that. That will be amazing. That's really beautiful. Um, a really beautiful space to create for all of them. I think, before we finish up, I feel like I would love to hear your insights into the differences maybe that we need to understand between those who can't and who decide not to. Um, you obviously speak about both of them throughout the book. I feel like we've spent a lot of time talking mm. about your experience of the decisions and the women who have decided it's just not for me. What did you see mm. in your research um, that we need to understand about the difference of that experience of um, not having kids but having wanted it so deeply, as you said, spent so much time, money, resources, perhaps it's just never happened. Um, what can we understand about those women in particular? You know what? I'm going to share something that might make me sound... It might sound terrible at first, but bear with me. I used to... Um, 
watch people go through four, five, six rounds of IVF and just think, what are you doing? It's probably not going to happen. How could, why would you do this? What a waste of money. Like, you're obviously completely exhausted. Now, I'm like, these are exactly the people who should be having children. <laughs> Somebody who wants it that badly, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's, I've, I've really softened my judgment around that kind of a situation and just have so much compassion for people who want it with all of their hearts and haven't been able to do it. It's just heartbreaking, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, I suppose. Um, and I think one thing that, that really came out of the research, I think it's about the, the, the last research, and you probably know about this, but the, the last research I could find that was done on this showed that of all the people who don't have children, about 10% a childless by choice, it's a conscious choice they've made. About 10% have experienced fertility issues. And then that 80% are childless by circumstance. And this is where I, you know, I come up with, I sort of came up with this concept, the motherhood spectrum, which kind of suggests that everybody, um, due to varying different circumstances, life circumstances, um, sort of orients somewhere on this motherhood spectrum versus it being like the definitely want kids, definitely don't kids. And that, that most people are probably somewhere in between and that de- as their life circumstances kind of shift, they'll orient different places on that spectrum. So it just, yeah, I just, I guess I've got much more um, understanding of the different factors that are causing people to do, I, honestly, a sort of a cost-benefit analysis of am I ready for this? Do I want this? Is it the right time? And just, yeah, um, the amount of headspace that kind of can go into that, you know? Yeah. I guess, yeah, what I'm saying is that whereas I had thought very much in these binary terms of, like, the ones who can't have kids, the ones who don't want kids, I'm now much more aware that for the majority of women without kids, it's much more nuanced than that, mm. you know? Um, which is where then we think about well, what are those circumstances? I kind of frame those everything from your basic personality, like... Are you super introverted? Then maybe being a mum isn't going to be for you. Or maybe it is because you actually just have your one companion, your one little companion, and you're good. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> could, yeah. could or go so many different ways. But to family background, to culture of origin, to um, the place that you live, to your relationship status, like all of these different things yeah. are factoring into people's feelings about this, let alone their actual decisions about it. And just, uh, yeah, I just have a much... Um, heightened, more heightened awareness mm-hmm. of that and so much um, just respect for, again, how much pressure people feel when they're grappling with this literally life or death, irreversible decision, yeah. you know? Um, and so I think the less... I really, really want... I really hope that something that comes out of this is um, an awareness amongst all sorts of people that is just not helpful to, to ask. Are you sure you don't want kids? You'll probably regret. Like, all of that stuff just needs to go. That just needs Absolutely. to go. We need to have big respect for the pressure that people are under, the knots they're tying themselves into around this. And within that, one of the big life circumstances that is deterring people from having children they might really want 
is how expensive it is to be a parent, how hard it is to be a parent, how little support and leeway is given to parents to do their parenting properly. These are like, a, you know, the beginning of the conversation. I talked about the sort of structural and policy issues, which I do think there's a people are becoming much more vocal about that, particularly coming out of COVID, which shone such a, a bright, <laughs> harsh light on how challenging it is um, to be a parent. And so, yeah, I think that conversation is going to really continue to pick up speed. Yes, I agree. And I think, you know, to, to bring all of this together, that's the thing that this book and your work is doing for all of us, whether we're past having kids, when we didn't, we couldn't, we are in the middle of it, we haven't made our decision yet, whatever it is. I love your idea of the motherhood spectrum. It's showing us that this isn't a binary black and white thing. You were born this way, so mm -hmm. therefore you must do it. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. And also invites us to look at that if we do become mothers and we don't love it, that's okay too. And maybe it's not about us or our bodies or our connection with our children. It's about the system, the structures. You know, for so many women, having children is the end of their career. We like to think that that's different in this day and age, but it's not. It's at least a massive pause. Superannuation gaps for women compared to men is directly linked mm. to ch having children. Like, this is such a huge and important mm. conversation, and I just am so grateful for the obviously beautiful hours of introverted writing that you have done to pull all of this together for so us. Because it Hundreds. is. I stopped counting. <laughs> I have like a, a t an hour tracker because I work I work as a book coach and, and a manuscript coach in my day job and I help people and so I have an hour tracker where I track how many hours I'm spending on people's projects. I started tracking the hours I was spending on this and it just became too depressing. I was like, <laughs> that is ridiculous. I'm just not gonna I'm just not gonna think about it. <laughs> well, it was paid off. Anyway, yes, it is spectacular. Thanks. It's Thanks. out in the UK in mid April, early May for Australia. Yeah. Please keep an eye out for it. As I said, I'm waiting for my hard copy in my hand so I can underline it and, and do all of the things. But um, thank you for your honesty, your courage, your bravery. I think this is a conversation changer, this book. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Ruby's book, Women Without Kids, is out now in America, due out in the UK in April and Australia early May. Please follow her online to get all the latest details and check out the notes in the show notes. I hope this conversation, no matter what spectrum of motherhood you are on, has shown you that this is so nuanced. There's so much here for us to think about and question the decisions that we make about our lives and the certainty we hold around it is so layered and we are here to be able to redefine that for ourselves each and every one of us thank you for listening thank you for being here until next week satnam Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.